So what we've been doing these Sunday evenings is, um, and throughout the Inspired series, we've been, uh, we've been considering the great story of the Bible. If you remember from week one, where we considered the Holy Bible, from the word Biblia, which means library, a collection of books, a collection of sacred books, 66 books in total that make up the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and uh, written over 1,500 years in three languages by 40 different authors. And all of it, as uh, we heard tonight, all of it is breathed by God, is inspired by God. And the amazing thing about, about the Bible with all of these different genres, from narrative to poetry to wisdom literature to apocalypse, uh, right through the prophecies and the gospels and the letters, there's in all of this diversity, with the, all of these different languages, with all of these different authors, with all of these different timelines, with all of these different prophecies and different ages, it all comes together in an amazing cohesive story that fits together perfectly. The odds of all of the um, prophecies in the Old Testament being fulfilled in and through Jesus are infinitesimally impossible, and yet that is what happened in that this story coalesced and came together in the arrival of Jesus Christ on this earth, the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies uh, regarding him, regarding a Messiah. It's really important that we understand the story of the Bible in its entirety so that when we read the Bible, we understand where we are in the story. It's been said that if you take a text out of context, then you're left only with con, with a con. If you read the Bible out of context, if you pick a verse out of context, take a chapter out of context, then we can misuse the Bible or misunderstand the Bible, but when we understand the whole uh, direction of the story and where we fit into it, we're no longer like people who've ripped pages out of a book and have somehow lost the plot like many people have uh, today and don't understand the story and why we're here and what our context is. But if we understand God's story, if we understand history, if we understand the biblical narrative, then it helps us to ground our lives in the reality of who we are and where we've come from and where we're going. It gives us hope in the dark times. It gives us a future when it seems that there is no future. It, it gives us context to our past and where we find ourselves. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at the exile and the prophets, the part of the story that Israel finds himself in. Over the last few weeks, we've considered the beginning of the story, once upon a time, in, in the beginning in Genesis. Genesis means beginnings. And Genesis 1 to 11, the creation story, and Genesis 12 to 50, the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And so Abraham uh, goes, uh, God's command, after uh, Adam and Eve are exiled and mankind spreads out into the earth, Abraham is called by God in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and, and sent uh, to a place, a promised land that is going to give to Abraham and to his family and to his offspring. And so Abraham uh, gives birth um, to uh, Isaac and Isaac gives birth to Jacob and Esau and Jacob is renamed Israel and Israel has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And the favorite one of Jacob is Joseph with his multicolored coat. And God has promised that through this lineage, through Abraham and through this people, that he's going to bless all of the earth through this covenant people. Because God is ultimately interested in restoring a relationship that is lost, paradise lost, in the garden when mankind is exiled from uh, the presence of God because of their sin and their disobedience. And so Joseph goes down in the story of the Bible, goes down to Egypt uh, where he is enslaved and uh, taken away, sold as a slave by his brothers and taken down to Egypt and imprisoned. And, and through the providence of God, um, Joseph is made into the prime minister of Egypt. And through a time of drought and, and uh, famine, famine in the land, he provides for the many peoples who come to Egypt to receive grain and survive this famine in the land. And Joseph is used by God to save the people. And all of uh, his family come down with him and settle in Egypt. And for 400 years, the Israelites stay there, but they are enslaved and kept in captivity and oppressed by the, the Egyptians in exile. And God sends a man called Moses to rescue his people from this place of exile. And uh, he lifts him out of, lifts the people out of, uh, of uh, slavery and commands Pharaoh, let my people go. And through the plagues and the Passover and the miraculous intervention of God, Moses leads the people up and Joshua, on Moses' death, leads the people in to the promised land that God has promised Abraham and the people of Israel. So Joshua leads them in. And then we followed, the last week, we followed them what happens next. This kind of cycle of, uh, of the judges. And, and that the people um, come to a place where they are given a judge, a judge, a ruler over them. People like Jephthah and people like Samson and Deborah and Othniel and Gideon and and all of these are men and women who are called to lead the people of Israel. But for a while, the people will then obey the judge and, it, and they will prosper. Then, then they rebel and then their enemies take over them and then they repent and then God gives them a new judge and then uh, there's peace in the land and then they rebel and then they're oppressed by their enemies and then God sends a new judge. But this cycle goes on and on and the people spiral down into uh, chaos. And at the end of the period of the Judges, which is recorded in Judges and in, in the book of Ruth, uh, the last of the Judges, Samuel, comes and at the behest of the people really uh, anoints a king over them called Saul, the first of the kings. And Saul, and then we follow the, the lineage of the kings and the story of the kings and none of the kings, ultimately, even the good kings, can uh, lead the people in a way that brings them uh, full victory and, and full covenantal relationship with God. Even the best of the kings fail and let the people down and let God down and the people rebel. And we get to this point of the story where um, Solomon becomes the king of, uh, of Israel and he is uh, the son of David, um, one of the greatest kings. And it was a golden era for Israel. 
But Solomon began to uh, tax the people, and he began to tax them heavily, and he also began to worship other gods and um, began to turn away from following uh, God faithfully. And upon his death, Solomon, uh, his son Rehoboam took over and uh, taxed the people even further. And the, and the nation of Israel, at that point in the history, as shown on our timeline here, split into two and, and went into basically a civil war. Israel, the 12 tribes, were divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was made up of 10 tribes and was um, known as Israel. And the southern kingdom was made up of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and was known as Judah. The northern kingdom later became what was known as Samaria and the southern kingdom later became known as Judea. And we get the word Jew from the word Judah, the southern kingdom. And so this division came about in our story of the Bible and the exodus and the covenantal relationship of, of God's people with him. But in all of this, then came this terrible time of division and disobedience. And the people were so far from God in the northern kingdom at this time that there was a great threat that was coming to them from the people of Assyria. Assyria was the great enemy without that was about to attack the northern kingdom. And in 722 BC, that's exactly what they did. And we have on our timeline here a dead end. Because at, at this point in our story, 722 BC, um, the Assyrians came and they attacked the northern kingdom and they sacked it and they, uh, and they dispersed the ten tribes of uh, the northern kingdom. They were such a fierce enemy, the, um, the Assyrians, that they, they would uh, mercilessly uh, kill the people, they would impale them, um, they would torture them, and one of their tactics was to disperse nations and dilute them to such an extent that they would uh, take away their identity. And so they dispersed the ten tribes, they were taken into exile, and, um, and they became no longer, Israel ceased to exist at that point, this northern kingdom, and when they came back together, when, it, when they were reconstituted in that part of the country, they became known as the Samaritans, and they were known then and hated by the, the Jews as mongrel people. And that's why in the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible, uh, it's such a powerful motive that Jesus is speaking of. Uh, who, who is my neighbor? And God speaks of helping a, of a Good Samaritan that was an anathema to the Jewish people, coming helping someone in need, loving their neighbor. And so this uh, destruction of the kingdom came about. And, and when we read about this, we read through the prophets that speak out to uh, the, 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 the different kingdoms, the north and the south. The northern prophets are Jonah and Amos and Hosea. They were the prophets that prophesied to the north of the country, to these northern tribes, that the Assyrians were coming, that they uh, should repent. Hosea uh, spoke to the people of their unfaithfulness to God. And God told him to marry a prostitute and to demonstrate to the people how unfaithful they had been 
in, in their relationship with God, how rebellious they had been, but they didn't listen. They wouldn't listen to Hosea. They wouldn't listen to Amos when he came and prophesied to the northern kingdom and said that you have carried out injustice and you've used your children for usury. And, and he cried out, Amos cried out to the people and rebuked them and warned them uh, about their impending attack of the Assyrians and the trouble that they were facing. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to Amos. And Jonah, Jonah's story is one as one prophet who was a northern kingdom prophet who was actually sent to prophesy to the Assyrians, to their enemies. When he was sent to Nineveh, that was the capital city of the Assyrian nation. It was the capital city of the enemies of Israel. And God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh, go to the Assyrians and prophesy to them. And, and no wonder that Jonah didn't want to go. No wonder he didn't want to go to the sworn enemies of Israel, the ones that were threatening to destroy his nation. No wonder Jonah ran in the opposite direction. But ultimately he went and he prophesied. But the kingdom came to a grinding halt and the people were taken into exile. At that time, the southern kingdom of Judah in the south where Jerusalem had become the capital and they survived this moment, 722 BC. They survived when the kingdom was split, the Assyrians came. The Assyrians then went down and besieged Jerusalem and Hezekiah and the stories there in the Bible. And, uh, and uh, Hezekiah withstood uh, this siege and God intervened and the Assyrians withdrew and the people in the southern kingdom survived for a little while longer. And then we have these southern kingdom prophets, Obadiah, Micah, Jeremiah. We have, um, we have Habakkuk and Nahum, Zephaniah, Joel, Isaiah. These were all prophets that prophesied to the southern kingdom after the northern kingdom had been sacked, after the northern kingdom had been taken into exile by the Assyrians. And, uh, and these prophets came and they prophesied to the southern kingdom and they said your turn is coming if you do not repent if you do not turn faithfully to God and in spite of all of that in spite of all of those warnings of the prophets in spite of all that God had said in spite of all that they had seen the people of uh, Judah could not be faithful to their God and and, and later, after this period, the Babylonians came. The Babylonians who followed the Assyrians. The Babylonians who swallowed up the Assyrians. They were the new superpower. And under King Nebuchadnezzar, they came and they came to Jerusalem and they took uh, Judah into exile. First of all, they only took some of the officials and they only took some of the elite young men, people like Daniel, and his story is told in the book of Daniel. They were taken into exile um, by Nebuchadnezzar and they were taken to Babylon. But the rest of the people were left in their land, in their country. But then a year later, they rebelled. They said, we're not having this. We're not having Babylon rule over us. They rebelled against Babylon. So Babylon came back, Nebuchadnezzar came back, and they absolutely destroyed Judah. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. 
and everything was left in ruins. And during this time of exile into Babylon, which was to last 70 years, we have the books of Lamentations, which is the great lament of Jeremiah as he looks on the destruction of Jerusalem, as he looks at the ruins all around him, as he looks at what's happened to this once great nation, this people of God, the promised land. We have the stories and the prophecies of Ezekiel and Daniel during this period of exile uh, in Babylon. And it's a very sad moment for the people of God. And I've got two themes that I just want to think about and tease out tonight very, very briefly. And one is the ruins of this situation. And, the, and two is the sense of exile that follows the people of God and us right through the story of the Bible. The story of exile is right through uh, the story from Genesis right through to Revelation is a story of exile and separation from land and from God. The people look on in Lamentations and in, in uh, Isaiah and, and these southern prophets as they look on at the pending destruction of their country, as they look at the devastation, as they look at the ruins, and, um, and it all seems so hopeless. They've been taken 500 miles away. They've been dragged away into Babylon. And during this time, we, we, we have uh, things like the Psalms, Psalm 137, um, is, is one of the songs of, of Israel at this time. It's one of, it's one of their laments. And um, we have the, these words, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. And we have this sad, sad song of the Psalms. We have the sense of terrible loss at this time. You read at the end of Jeremiah, you read of the fall of Jerusalem. And uh, in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. They camped outside the city. They built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And so it goes on in the Babylonian army pursues the army of Judah, which tries to make a run for it. They capture King Zedekiah. They overtake him in the plains of Jericho. And they take him to Babylon. And there in Babylon, they slaughter all of his sons, all of Zedekiah's sons before his eyes. So the last thing he will see before they pluck out his eyes are his sons being killed before him. And then they bind him and they put him in shackles where he dies in prison. And this is the place that's recorded. This is at the end of Jeremiah that, that is recorded, that awful story. We read throughout the story of Lamentations. We read of, these, of this terrible loss. And we, we read about the sense of ruin. 
the sense of loss, the sense of destruction, the sense of a people who from the very beginning of the story could not walk with their God. And through the period of the judges and the period of the kings and the period of uh, warnings of the prophets and the division of the kingdom north and south to this place of exile where they look on and they see the temple that once marked the glory of God and the presence of God amongst his people, those great times of celebration, those great times of the victories of David and the great eras of the kings, all of it seems lost and it's just ruined. And this is a picture so often of our lives and, and the ruins that we find ourselves in. And I was reminded in this of a quote that came from Eric Liddell. You remember Eric Liddell of Chariots of Fire? He was an Olympian who ran um, and, uh, and was, a, was a great athlete. But he was also a Christian and um, he later became a missionary to China. And uh, Eric Liddell... Then came the Second World War, and um, they faced the demise of the of the mission field. They 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 reckoned that the kind of the the pending doom that was coming because of the Second World War and the sense of fear and isolation. And but the the mission society of which Eric Liddell was a part sent the message uh, that um, they must stay where they were. So he sent his wife and his two children home on a ship, and it would be the last time he would see them in 1941. In 1945, uh, he was interred in a prison camp, and he ultimately died of a brain tumor in that place. But he said these words, Eric Liddell said these words. He said, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans. But God is not helpless among the ruins. God's love is still working. He comes in and takes the calamity and uses it victoriously, working out his wonderful plan of love. And he quoted in his letter that he wrote of that, in Romans 8, verse 28, that whatever happens, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And at this time of apparent ruin, where circumstances may appear to wreck our lives, and God, God is not helpless among the ruins. And there are signs, there are signs, even as Isaiah is prophesying, the demise of the people of Judah, the, the oncoming onslaught from the people of Babylon. Even then, Isaiah holds out hope. And he paints a picture of a time where there will be no more fighting and there will be no more war. He speaks of them taking their weapons and taking their swords and beating them into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Isaiah chapter 2. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah prophesies again of a time where the people, though they are walking in darkness, they will see a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light 
has dawned. And then Isaiah speaks these words, and he won't fully understand the words that he is speaking. The prophets wouldn't fully understand everything they were saying, or the one that they were pointing to, or the hope that would come back to Israel in their ultimate loss and ruination. And he said these words in his prophecy, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, all the government's that have gone before have failed, the kings have failed, the judges have failed. But this king, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Even in the midst of this time, the prophets, they speak out and they speak out and they speak out devastation and they speak out loss and they speak out ruins. But in the middle of it all, they still speak out hope in the middle of the ruins. Ezekiel is another exile prophet who speaks out while the people are in Babylon. And he's prophesied to the mountains of Israel in Ezekiel 36. And he says, therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the mountains and the hills to the ravines and the valleys, to the desolate ruins and the deserted towns that have been plundered and ridiculed by the rest of the nations around you. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. And he goes on and he prophesies as God tells him to prophesy. And he says, but you, O mountains of Israel, you will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come home. I'm concerned for you and will look on you with favor. You will be plowed and sown and I will multiply the number of people upon you, even the whole house of Israel. The towns will be inhabited and the ruins will be rebuilt. I will increase the number of men and animals upon you and they will be fruitful and become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past and I will make you prosper more than before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Daniel prophesied to the people in exile. Ezekiel prophesied to the people in exile. Jeremiah prophesied to the people in exile. And even in the ruins, there was hope. Nicky Gumbel uh, recalls interviewing Rick and Kay Warren. And he writes these words. He says, I remember so well interviewing Rick and Kay Warren at our leadership conference at the Royal Albert Hall in London. A year had passed since the devastating death of their son by suicide, age 27, they spoke of how God can work even in the ruins of our lives. Kay said, we definitely felt our lives had been ruined when our son died. But one of the things that kept me tethered to life and to hope was believing that God was not helpless in those ruins. God was still working his plan of love in those circumstances that were so devastating. 
I might be on my face in agony and tears and not know what to do, but I believe that with God's help I can rise again. There is hope. There is a new dawn. There are new beginnings. God does bring beauty out of ashes. He does bring good out of evil. He does triumph over death. I will cling to God with all that I have. I will put my trust in his goodness. And so this story is one of exile and one of ruin. But in it all, in it all, through all of the prophecies, through all the, of the story, the people keep looking forward for one. One who will be, like we thought of last time, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who is the ultimate king, anointed like David, but a son of David, but one whose throne would last forever, one who would come and deliver his people from this constant ruination and cycle of exile and trouble and disobedience. And we end the Old Testament and these final prophets who prophesy and encourage the people as they return from exile to the promised land under the leadership of Zerubbabel and then Nehemiah and Ezra. We hear and read those stories in these books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But we have these prophets as well, Malachi and Zechariah and Haggai, who prophesy during this post-exilic period, this period when the people return to the lands as the Persians say, go back to your country, go back and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the ruins and rebuild the walls. And even though the task is great and difficult and beset with problems, um, Zechariah encourages them. He says, it's not by might or by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And there is hope and and the word of God comes through Ezra and through Nehemiah and the rebuilding starts and the ruins and the burned stones are taken and put one upon the other. But even then, at the end of the Old Testament, there's this prophecy from the last prophet of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 3. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. I'm going to ask Rachel just to come up a second because we end the Old Testament in an unresolved way, still in exile, still waiting for the coming of the Messiah. When we got to the end of our study of Nehemiah, we ended up in the same place, in a chapter that seems to leave things unresolved. And there is something, Rachel, is there not, as somebody who has studied music, there's something called an unresolved chord. I'm going to ask Rachel to play us an unresolved chord and see if you can hear it. So just play us a little kind of few chords. The end one. So... So that one there is unresolved, that last one. And an unresolved chord, what it does when you listen to music and some of the most beautiful music, it leaves you hanging. <laughs> and it makes you want to push the music <laughs> to resolve the music, to, to get you back to a resolved chord. So what would that sound like, Rachel, to move from, play that again with that unresolved chord and then to 
Thank you. Give her a little round of applause. <laughs> There's something inside of us that is that unresolved chord, that is that cry for justice, that cry in the ruins, that cry is why is everything so broken. And this story of exile is our story. It's a story that is told when Adam and Eve are exiled from the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. It's the story of the people being exiled in Egypt and away from their home and in slavery and oppression. It's the story of exile as Abraham is sent and go from this country, your country, go to a land I will show you in a land that's not your own. And it's the story of, of, uh, of, of the exile as the people move on and then are, are exiled into and by Assyria and, and Babylon. It's the story that's told throughout. It's the story of the, the Tower of Babel, which is the first Babylon, the people being scattered. And it's our story. It's a story of separation. It's a story where we long for home. It's a story where we're not home yet, where we still long for that place of home. I want to show you a little video by the Bible Project which delineates this for us, the story of exile that is found throughout the Bible. We'll just watch that for a couple of minutes and I hope it will make it really clear for us. There's something about being home, where everything's just right. We're surrounded by people we love and trust. There's a feeling of stability and safety. And while some people get to experience this kind of home, many do not. Others might even be forced to leave their home and go live in a foreign land. We call this going into exile. Yeah, in exile, everything is disoriented. You're in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves conquered by Babylon, living in exile, far from their homeland. And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here, and is there any hope of going home? And the whole story of the Bible is designed to address those very questions. The whole story? Really? Yeah, go back to the first pages of the Bible. Where does humanity live? Okay, they live in this really sweet garden, their home. And they're there on one condition, that they trust and follow God's one command, and they don't. And so the consequence is banishment from the garden. Ah, they're sent into exile. Exactly. And so this story has been designed to set you up for Israel's story. How they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition, that they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God. Um, they didn't, and they were sent into exile. And if you still don't see the parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel, think about this. In Genesis, humanity's exile led up to the story about the building of what city? Oh yeah, Babylon. The same place the Israelites are sent. But that's not the end of either story. In the first Babylon, God called Abraham to leave and travel to the Promised Land. And that story was designed to give hope to the Israelites currently living in the later Babylon. Now eventually, they do get to leave and travel back to their promised homeland. And when they did, it wasn't home sweet home. Oppressive empires were still ruling over them, and the people kept acting in the same corrupt ways as their ancestors. And so the biblical prophets said that exile wasn't actually over. 
How could they think they were still in exile when they're at home? Yeah, this is really important. In the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It's that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live. Yeah, I I can relate to this. I have a great home, but it's situated in a world scarred with pain and broken relationships, death, tragedy, done by others, but also done by me. And so in the Bible, exile is the human condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape. And it doesn't matter where you live, we are all longing for a better home. Now Israel's scriptures held out hope that one day God would send a king who would rescue the world from all of the Babylons we've created. And after many generations pass, we meet this Israelite named Jesus of Nazareth. He wandered about with no home, announcing the great restoration, that reality of home that Israel and all humanity has been looking for. Yeah, Jesus really cared about people who didn't have homes. He welcomed in the stranger. He said, God's love is shown when you invite in the outcast and throw parties for people who don't have a place to belong. Jesus also claimed that Israel and all humanity had lost its way that our self-centeredness drives us to create false homes based on status and power, and these inevitably exclude others. We live in an exile of our own making. But Jesus said the true way home is one of weakness, of service, and of forgiveness. And then Jesus went into exile alongside us to show us the true way home. Which is? Well, Jesus said he is the way. His life and self-giving love proved more powerful than humanity's failure. He opened up a pathway to our real home. And as Jesus' followers committed themselves to him, they discovered this new way of being human. They believed that the real return from exile had begun. And so they would call themselves sojourners or wanderers. Oh, right. They would say things like, the world isn't our home and we're citizens of heaven. And so Jesus' followers remain exiles as they wait for that day when Jesus returns to transform this world into a true home. So this theme of exile... Hey there, everybody. Thank you. ...is found right through the Bible. And tonight, we're going to come in a few moments and we're going to break bread together. And what the Bible tells us in the New Testament is that we are exiles, we are sojourners, we are foreigners in a land that is not our own. And we are not home yet. Which is why the world feels so broken, while the chord sounds so unresolved. Which is why we sometimes look among the ruins. But God is not helpless among the ruins. God sent his son to die for us. God sent his son to make a way for us. God sent his son to bring us out of exile and into relationship with him. And as we remember this morning, when we take the bread and we take the wine, we remember the Lord's death until he comes again, until he comes to take us home. We live now in this tension, at this part of the story in the church era, where we're waiting for that place where the weaponry of warfare will be beaten into plowshares, where nations will live united and in harmony, where the lion will lie down with the lamb, 
where there will be no more warfare and no more tears and no more ruins and no more rebellion. And we are in that tension of that unresolved cord, waiting for that second coming of Jesus, when there will be, the story tells us, the prophets uh, point us forwards, say there will be a day when there will be new heavens and there will be a new earth and there will be no more sorrow and no more crying and no more pain and no more death. And this unease that we feel inside of us, this brokenness, will be resolved once and for all. Jesus has come to lead us back to that place. And when he left the earth after his resurrection, before his ascension, he said, I am going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a home for you. I'm going and I will come back and I will take you there. And so when we break bread and when we take this cup together, we remember the Lord's death until he comes again. We look back and we look forward in hope. And that is our condition. That is where we are in the story. I'm going to ask the servers to come forward now who are going to serve us with communion. And we're going to pray together and prepare our hearts. Because we are still a people in exile. We are still a people that live in this story. But in the midst of it all, there's always hope. The prophets always speak out the hope of God. And if you find yourself in the fire today, in a time of difficulty, in a time of trouble, remember this song from Hillsong which says, there's a grace when the heart is under fire, another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire standing next to me. And Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, as they were in Babylonian exile and they stood in the fire, there was another in the fire standing there, one like a son of man. And there is someone standing with us who has gone before us, has gone through death and into life and resurrection power. So in a few moments, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you as you want and as you're ready to come forward and to take a piece of wafer and to take a cup and to remember what Jesus has done for every one of us, how he has overcome the ruins, how the promise of the anointed one has been fulfilled so that we can be set free and have this eternal hope waiting for his second coming. Lord, we thank you for the story, the great story of the Bible, and we thank you, Lord, that your intent and purpose from the very beginning has been to have relationship with us, to walk with us in the garden, to enjoy fellowship with us, to have us enjoy fellowship with you, naked and unashamed in the presence of God. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that your intent and purpose throughout this story and throughout these cycles of ruin and devastation and disobedience and rebellion has always been to send one, a king, a prophet, and a priest who would fulfill all of the requirements that we could never fulfill and would pay the price for us and would lay down his life to make a way for us out of exile and back home into the presence of God. As we come tonight and take this cup and this bread, we remember your death and your sacrifice 
but we also look forward to the place and the time where this broken world will be resolved. All of creation is longing for that day, is crying out, is groaning for it. But God, until that day comes, we live here as sojourners, as exiles, as foreigners. Our home, our citizenship is in heaven. So we thank you for that promise and that hope. And we pray that we will live in light of that hope. And Lord, we will live as your ambassadors here on this earth until that day comes. So we thank you. We come with gratitude. We receive your forgiveness. And we live in this hope. In Jesus' name.